No, us roses, we're a, a self, um, oh, I can't think of the word, this is going to be good. <laughs> I don't think you need words today, it's fine. I, I'm trying to think of warm-up that I had kind of prepared today, but I think the subject has kind of killed me. I have none. Do you have any warm-up? Um, I have no warm-up <laughs> due to the overwhelming rage I felt doing our research. I mean, maybe we should just start and see what happens. Maybe. Yeah, I've got nothing. We'll give it a go. Worst <laughs> comes to worst. We, we can just divvy back into... Oh, do we do what we do with, like for the last two episodes where we just like start with the subject and then we get warm up because something else has happened in our brain. Oh, yes. Oh. Fair point. Yes. Many things. Hello. I agree with what your friend said 700 months ago that we should say, hi, I'm Tempest. And you can be like, I'm Lolo. But we don't bother with all of the extra shit that we used to do. Oh, God, no. It's just more of a case of, hello, welcome to Ginsult. <laughs> <laughs> you're here we're here we're still going i hope you're still going if you're listening to us from beyond the grave congratulations come see us in a ceremony sometimes it'll be lol <laughs> you've got until october the 31st if you don't know why listen to our witchcraft episode <laughs> <laughs> oh no halloween that's it halloween <laughs> oh gosh I, have you ever thought and look back at our episodes and been like what the fuck have we said yes also i've forgotten half of them the other day i was like we did one on heels what did we say oh my god we did hang on wouldn't this be a really fun game if we went back and tried to remember the shit that we found out in each episode and be like name three facts that you learned in the heels episode uh men will heels first um Welcome, Botanicans, to an episode that has got Lolo and I all fired up with hot tears of rage. So buckle in, because if you're not spitting fury by the end of this episode, then I don't know how else to make you angry. I'm just going to be honest. (laughs) I think saying that, that I think maybe we should put at the beginning of this episode that there is going to be some really heavy hitter subjects that are going to come through buckle in i i myself would definitely give you warnings before it's going to get pretty hard but there is going to be a lot of violence and specifically around female sexual organs so welcome <laughs> you're traumatized by your disclaimer <laughs> oh i just i was researching it and mine I, okay it doesn't matter we'll get into it when we get to my part but the main thing that we need to focus on the main thing that we need to focus on today is that you fuckers voted for this. So it's your fault. (laughs) Yes, just to be clear, this is all your fault. We listened and now we're angry and traumatised and now we're sharing that anger and trauma with you right back. We are never letting you decide ever again. Ever. No. Ever, ever, ever. So trigger warnings all the way through. We'll we'll give you a flag up if things are about to get super dark. But in general, today's subject matter, I think even if we don't delve into the dark side of it, still made me really angry. <laughs> yeah, same. Oh my God. I deviled, I think I dabbled into your side a little bit just out of curiosity by accident. Various rabbit holes that we go down and research. Because whenever Tempest and I do take on a topic, we try and divvy it up so that we don't cross over, so that we cover as much territory as possible without putting too much weight on the other um, researching wise but I kept dabbling into your side of things and just constantly bashing my head against the table like (laughs) what what the fuck I'm so angry (laughs) (laughs) so dear wonderful beautiful listeners today we'll be discussing the clitoris no I've got a better intro (laughs) okay cool don't you dare edit it out Rich don't you dare leave mine in (laughs) And so the audience can decide which is better. 
Hey guys, what has more <laughs> nerve endings than any other organ in the body? In fact, 8,000, which is over twice as much as the penis. Yes, you've guessed it. Today we're discussing the clitoris. <laughs> Oh, oh that was that was beautiful. 12 hours of planning just to bring that together because I have no other outlets. <laughs> <laughs> so, start at the very beginning. It's a very good place, good place to start. To start. Uh, so guys, as we said, today's research really brought up some feelings in me. <laughs> so, I actually messaged Lola Brown last night and I've been like, "Why do we not discuss inherited gender trauma?" So, Ooh. enjoy. <laughs> I actually couldn't look at Luke for a good few hours yesterday. I went to bed early and I was just and I was just like, I'm very angry. I'm not angry at you in particular, but I'm just gonna spend some time on my own. <laughs> and he was like, okay. Good. Asking for boundaries and needs is a very important aspect to a relationship. Can <laughs> you? I was like, I'm very angry. <laughs> well, I, I read him a bit of the research which was a rookie mistake on my behalf being like this is disgusting and then he didn't give me the sufficiently angry response that I felt <laughs> that it required oh, mate. then he tried to make a joke about it to lighten the mood uh, so let's not think this is too much of a healthy dynamic <laughs> and then I was just like there's no reason to get a divorce over this <laughs> just going to say that I don't think that's an appropriate subject matter to try and lighten the mood with and that I'm very angry and then I proceeded to say I'm very angry for about 20 minutes and then I went to bed okay <laughs> never mind I retract my statement <laughs> but I love you both very well, much it is, it's mature and we didn't have a blazing round about it so in that way it was productive <laughs> it was more productive for me to be like you're not angry at him you're angry at 2,000 plus years of patriarchy. So, let's get into it, demon! <laughs> Lele Brown, did you know that all female mammals and some female birds and reptiles have a clitoris and some snakes have two? I did know that ostriches had clitorises, which I always found fun. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, but snakes have two. Apparently so, although it is interesting. Well, I'll get into it. But one of the main topics that we're going to be covering is how little we actually know about the fucking clitoris, even until in incredibly recently. Oh. But yes, if anybody wants to shed some light on the veracity of that statement, <laughs> I have no reason to deny it's true, but I didn't verify it myself personally I just thought it was a cute fact and also when I put clitoris into my phone obviously in our Ginsult whatsapp group we've been discussing it it doesn't come up as a word option nope <laughs> I'm angry already oh no <laughs> go forward go on <laughs> okay so botanicans <laughs> it's taken over 2,000 years for us to begin to understand the clitoris because it's part of the female anatomy and for much of history, because it's not been immediately associated with reproduction, medical science hasn't really given a fuck about it. <laughs> but we're here hopefully today to change that, uh, to have a little bit of education and my job in this episode is to tell you some facts about the clitoris and a little bit of the medical history around the constant rediscovery of the clitoris and what people felt it might be for and therefore what they felt that we should do with it. Fun fact, 
When a French physician dissected this organ for the first time in 1545, he named it Membre Honteuse. I've said that wrong, but let's just go with it. <laughs> Which means the shameful member. <laughs> and declared its sole purpose was for urination. No! Did you know that, Lola? No! no! <laughs> I'm sorry, you're telling me that someone took it apart and thought piss comes out of here? There's not even an opening! <laughs> Like it seeped out of the pores of it. Like what the fuck? (laughs) I know, right? The early origins of the word are murky. Clitoris comes from the Greek clitoris, which has been translated as both little hill and to rub, suggesting an ancient play on words. Now, the little hill is fairly common understanding of that word, but to rub, I haven't come across elsewhere. So I don't know if that's a little bit of modern day. I'm making a hand gesture that none of you can see, and I'm looking at Lolo, hoping that I, she can give me the word. Transference, that's it. How Modern was that transference? It looked like you were trying to like pickpocket an invisible person in front of you. No, I was putting our modern framework onto oh. the past. <laughs> this is going swimmingly. That's what that movement... Yeah, it's great. In fact, the little hill, protected by the cloak of the skin or the clitoral hood, which is found over the urethral opening, is just the tip of a much larger organ that is in fact this joyous organ the clitoris around 90% of the clitoris's bulk lies beneath the surface that's right team 90 suck that in <clears throat> underneath the nub which is called the glans clitoris a plump wishbone shaped in circles the vagina with arms that flare out up to nine centimeters into the pelvis and all of the parts beneath the surface are made of erectile tissue, meaning that they swell with blood when aroused to become even bigger. Yeah, suck my big fat internal dick. <laughs> the clitoris is intimately intertwined with all of the pelvic structures around it, including the urethra, the duct for urination, the vagina and the labia. Now, starting with the ancient Greeks who, let's say, agree, have some fucked up ideas on lots of things. It took humans more than 2,000 years to develop this understanding, despite the fact that about half of the population has a clitoris. Though female anatomy has not changed all that much, the understanding of it has. Throughout history, the clitoris has been lost, found and lost again, with male anatomists jostling one another over the years for who deserves credit for this quote-unquote discovery. Yet, the full clitoris is still inadequately portrayed in most anatomical textbooks. Which is worryingly true, and I'll I'll talk a little bit about that. There's lots of sources that's gone into my research, and no doubt Lolo's as well. So on the podcast notes for this, we're going to put all of our source material so you can... Immerse yourself in the wonderful world of the clitoris. Now, the first comprehensive anatomical study of the clitoris was led by a female urologist from Australia called O'Connell. She has a first name, but it's later on in my notes and I'll give it to you. And this was published. Guess when this was published, Lola Brown? Last year. (laughs) 1998. Cool. Cool. Which is good to know. A subsequent study in 2005 examined it under MRI. And that helped develop our understanding a little bit more. And the first 3D scans of the clitoris weren't done until 2009. So that's great. It was not, O'Connell discovered, just a small nub of erectile tissue described in some texts as the poor homologue of the penis. 
Instead, it was an otherworldly shape with nerve-rich glands, merely the external protrusion of an organ that extended beneath the pubic bone and wrapped around the vaginal orchid. Uh, This is from a Guardian article which says, It looked like an orchid. And it was beautiful. Oh, yeah. I want to give two quotes to O'Connell, who's a fascinating woman who we should all be deeply indebted to for her research and campaigning about uh, the clitoris, its uses, and for knowledge of the clitoris to be better understood. So I like these quotes from her. There's two of them. In relation to the G-spot, she says, The centuries of sexism fed by unrealistic depictions of male sex in Hollywood have helped build the G-spot myth and minimise the role of the clitoris. And that encourages people to, quote, go about things in a way that's likely to be counterproductive. She means when it comes to sex. People want that kind of magical thing where he gets off through penetration of the vagina and exactly what causes his joy causes her joy, she says. Almost everyone is going to fall short on this goal because the organs just don't seem to be designed in this magical way that would fit with the kind of thrusting behaviour causing orgasm. Now, I thought it was an interesting quote and you might have more to say on the G-spot, so I'm just going to leave that one there with your research. And by that, I don't mean like if you orgasm through penetration that there's anything wrong with you or there's anything wrong with that at all, but certainly growing up for me there's this kind of misunderstanding that women will orgasm through penetration alone and that if that doesn't happen there is something wrong with your body which is uh, sad and dangerous (laughs) and I really like the thing that she's made out like this is massively convenient because in depictions of sex that tend to center penises seems really convenient that what works for you just magically works for us because what are we if not socks (laughs) not Okay. Um, oh, I have to tell you one sec. You know, I was talking about the Cock Destroyers. Mm, the Cock Destroyers, the porn stars that I absolutely love. Yeah. So they did, They released a foot episode and they called it the Sock Destroyers and I pissed myself laughing for a full 10 minutes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Continue. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good interruption. Another quote from her that I like is, there's the norm, that's the male. And then we've got this kind of subset over here who are not male, she says, and their unique characteristics are differences. There was a feeling that they would not whole people in the way that these other people are whole people and deserving of having their body parts having full description. And uh, I think that's a really uh, great way, again, to talk about the complete misweighting that is given to our knowledge of the penis, but then everything else is seen as some kind of abnormal state of having sexual organs. Well, yeah, it's the one thing I found in my research is that people just believe that like the cis male anatomy was the representation of humanity and that was a human so there had to be an equivalent in the cis female anatomy to be understood and the fact that the clitoris there isn't a counterpoint really in the male thing so like that's just it's an extra it's unnecessary (laughs) (laughs) what is this thing if not some kind of damaged wannabe penis anyway yeah it's like it's like they looked at the female body and were like you don't need those cup holders (laughs) Ah, cup holders. Uh, so there was a campaign by a woman called Jessica Peard in 2018. She discovered that the nerves and vascular structure inside the clitoris are mostly absent from OBGYN literature. And this has massive implications for various surgeries and uh, and tends to be omitted even nowadays, which she rightly thought was pretty disturbing. So props to her for campaigning to make sure that maybe perhaps medical people who specialise in this area should know more about it. <laughs> in my 
research, there's still massive disinformation. So I was reading lots of articles about the clitoris and I came across one 2019 I just clicked on. And this is written by a woman and then medically reviewed by a male MD and defines the clitoris as the structure that is about the size of a pea located at the top of a woman's vulva. It's 2019, that's good to know. I've written theory. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's <laughs> still terrifying. Uh, that was an American website. Not that we don't have shit websites also, here. Also, the size of a pea? Um, I think I eat quite big peas. <laughs> Giant peas. So there is a theory. There's a big question over why we have the clitoris because we can't possibly deal with the fact that women might have an organ in the body that is only dedicated to pleasure, especially since men don't have one. (laughs) So lots of people have dedicated lots of time in the small amount of research on the clitoris to being like, why do they have this? Surely it's a function of something else. And there is a theory that... In previous humans, so a long time ago, a female orgasm stimulated the release of the egg. And I believe that is the case in some animals. Oh, yeah. And so it's kind of like a, that's what it was originally for biologically. But uh, we no longer release eggs through orgasm. So we've just kind of got this clitoris as a kind of happy bonus. (laughs) Not happy bonus. Oh, nice. (laughs) I came to work. You did. So would you like a little timeline of how the clitoris has been discovered <laughs> over the last 2000 years or so? Uh, I would I would love, 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 love. Go for it. <laughs> okay, so the ancient Greeks and the Romans knew about the clitoris, but they just thought it was a sad attempt at women trying to have a penis. <laughs> and uh, that's basically what they... <laughs> Oh, That's God. all they really thought about that. Wait, 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 wait. Can I ask a quick question? So <laughs> so they thought the, the, that it was an attempt to grow a penis anatomy? Or is it like a leftover? I think it comes from this theory that I, like what you said, you take the male body, the cis male body as the ideal. Women are just kind of like crap attempts at trying to be men. And so the clitoris is just like this sad attempt at women's bodies trying to have a penis because that's the ideal. And what we ended up with was the clitoris. And that has quite a lot of resonances still in the way some people think about the clitoris today. It's insane how much of medical theory from ancient Roman and Greek times still underpins a lot of medical attitudes. Cool. Good to know. A little throwback to our witch episode. In 1489, The Witch's Hammer was written, uh, and that mentions the devil's teat. <laughs> oh, I love researching Which this they say. <laughs> Oh, so good. I've only got one line on it, so feel free to embellish. Uh, We acknowledged that the teat got hard through arousal and that was taken to be a sign of dealing with the devil or witchcraft. Mm. Which uh, links to one of its most common nicknames in a lot of Christian circles and a way to disenthuse women from having sex and maintaining abstinence is that it's called the devil's doorbell. The devil's doorbell! (laughs) Oh my goodness. Ring like twice that. and that he'll be... come. <laughs> that should be a burlesque name. Can someone please call themselves the Devil's Doorbell? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's going to be the name of my club. <laughs> it's going to be the name of my club when I open it. Welcome to the Devil's Doorbell. Brilliant. I love it. Can you have clitoral shaped actual doorbells? <laughs> you have to ring. Yeah. That's how you get the waiters to come over. <laughs> yes. Like Bob Bob Rickard with Press for Champagne. You can just press a clitoris and people arrive with what? Dildos? Tampons? 
uh, sex toys. <laughs> anything. Anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've touched on this very lightly earlier. 1545, Charles Estienne undertakes an anatomical dissection on the clitoris. And this is the first proper uh, dissection done on the clitoris. He refers to the clitoris as the woman's shameful member. So thanks, motherfucker. Then a little bit later on in 1559, a guy called Rinaldus Columbus discovers, again, <laughs> the clitoris. Now, I quite like this one. He doesn't call it the clitoris. Instead, Columbus opts to name it the love of Venus or the sweetness of Venus, which is better than the shameful member. We can probably agree. Uh, he determined that it was preeminently the seat of women's delight. He further observes that it functions quite similarly to a penis in that if you touch it, you will find it rendered a little harder. And he was one of the first to hint at the erectile tissue that makes up much of the internal and external clitoris. So thanks. Thanks, Ronaldus. You did. You did OK. Yeah, I, I enjoyed reading about him. Like, he, he seemed at least to be interested in the sense of being like, this thing is great. Yeah. Like one of the first physicians that was really like that, by the looks yeah. of it, which is terrifying. Exactly. There wasn't, what's the slump? Burn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so 1672, quote, we are extremely surprised that some anatomists make no more mention of this part than if it did not exist at all in the universe of nature, states somebody called Rignier de Graaf, a Dutch physician and anatomist. Quote, in every cadaver we have so far dissected, we have found it quite perceptible to sight and touch. De Graaf's surprise leads him to craft the most comprehensive report on clitoral anatomy yet. So uh, thank you. It adds a bit more. That's good. And also complains about the poor shoddy research done so far. Now, you can tell me how much you're going to cover on this later. So I don't go into too much of it now. But did you know Lolo Brow in 1860... In London, uh, we actually, we, let's not include ourselves in this, um, a form of FGM was practiced quite regularly by the medical community. Mm -hmm. Fun times. So let's move on to the 1860s in London, where the clitoridectomy was practiced, which was the surgical removal of the clitoris. This briefly became an acceptable treatment for a wide range of conditions, including hysteria, that word that we love on this podcast, and mental illness. It could also be used as treatment for behaviour seen as unfeminine and as a threat to marriage. These included, quote, a distaste for marital intercourse and a great distaste for her husband, violent behaviour, or even just answering back. More on all of that fun later. Then in our timeline, we get to Freud. I'm going to leave this to Lolo Brown. So we'll we'll circle back to this. So from Freud, we go to Princess Marie Bonaparte, and we're going to touch on this in more detail later on. So I'm going to skip on to 1948, when Gray's Anatomy, which has been the authority on human anatomy since the first publication in 1858 in London, in its 25th edition, decided to just get rid of the clitoris because they deemed it irrelevant. So it just vanished from the formational medical test. So that's nice. In 1953, American biologist Alfred Kinsey makes a particularly bold and unexplored assertion in writing, stating that intercourse is not the best means of pleasure for women. The clitoris is the centre of female pleasure, thus rediscovering what had already in fact been discovered about a thousand years earlier, <laughs> which is great. And then we circle on to 2009, which is the next important situation in the life cycle of the clitoris. Dr. Pierre Folds, together with Dr. Odile Bousson, produces the first 3D ultrasound of the clitoris. Folds also invents the first successful female genital 
mutilation reversal surgery where he removed scar tissue from the vulva and exposes some of the internal clitoris returning sexual sensation to many of his patients which is awesome and of course sorry prior to that we have O'Connell's work which I touched on earlier about um, again realizing the huge lack of knowledge from the field of urology in particular about the clitoris and making it a big part of her life's work to properly map the clitoris and to campaign for fuller understanding of it so that is a little clitoral medical timeline about our much maligned body part yeah that's very intense cool even reading that made me angry last night just 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 rage (laughs) just rage fair fair play (laughs) rage a whole body part is just ignored because it doesn't have any function for reproduction and it doesn't exist in men. And then the only way they can conceive of it is it might be like a really shit version of something that men have because men's bodies are perfection and women's bodies are just incubators and dick socks. Good to know. How are you feeling? I'm feeling all right, actually. I, I must have got a lot of my rage out of my system last night. Okay, good. But it, it does weigh on you quite a lot, doesn't it? When you just... It's like that carry trauma. It's just like generations and generations and generations of women subjected to degradation and trauma and violence and and just complete misunderstanding by the people who are supposed to be in a position to help them because because they're not men. And so therefore their bodies didn't matter and we were disposable. And that is just what overwhelmed me with fucking rage yesterday. And given how recently so much of this is happening, <laughs> that sounds like I was about to cry. I was like, shit, not, you're right, mate. I just choked a bit on my spit there. Sorry, <laughs> that was very dramatic. Um, <laughs> how recently this has even started to be reversed. It's just fucking horrifying. And it just really got me into like a thinking cycle of this myth that persists nowadays that like not only do we have equality, but that somehow equality has gone too far. And that just really brought up a lot of feelings in me yesterday. And like remembering lots of situations where I've just had to listen to men talk about like, oh, feminism's gone too far. Like, oh, we're supposed to have equality. And I took a lot of pleasure a few years ago in reading a quote from somebody and I wish I could remember who it was. It was just like, Oh, equality. Is it equality that you want? Okay, cool. So for the next at least 2000 years, you'll be sold as property. You'll have no access to money, bank accounts, no bodily autonomy. You will be a sex slave for your partner. You'll be the property of all the men in your life. You will be disposable, essentially, for the furtherment of hereditary line. And you will have no rights to anything at all. And then, then once you've gone through all of that, then I think we can say that that we have achieved equality oh okay so you're probably not so keen for that so so maybe what we're asking for perhaps doesn't sound so fucking bad now and we're just like yeah when you look at it through that lens it's like fuck you <laughs> fuck you fuck you oh, i think i'm done okay cool <laughs> hold on two secs yes. <laughs> i'm just gonna get a snack so that i could do the next thing and not kill anyone <laughs> Great, good. good, good. Just, just a wee break for a sec. <laughs> right. So if you thought your research was depressing, <laughs> you were merely the foreplay into the destruction of the world. Now, a lot of the texts that I'll be referring to in the next four years of this podcast will be referring to words that are used in political agendas and medical agendas. This is referring to cis female anatomy um, and clitorises and vaginas in the vulva 
as a cis female anatomy. Under no circumstances do I believe that, <laughs> basically, not all women have clits, not all clits have women. That is a truthful thing entirely. This is also strongly linked to many things within the LGBT community as well as women's rights. So going forth, buckle in. It's a fucking treacherous road and I'm not here for any of it. So I've got therapy on Friday. It's fine. We'll start really nice. I thought it'd be good to start with like different words that the clitoris has been called in literature. That's nice. I thought it'd be nice. Um, So we've got the clit. It's very creative. We've got bean. Got butter bean. Don't understand why butter bean is different from bean, but here we are. We've got boy in the boat, which I found really what? interesting. Boy in the boat. Now, this is really, really fun, interesting. So in the last episode, you heard me have a massive, really long, fun time talking about sex toys. And I got a little bit stumped about the legalities in America. I didn't know too much about it because I hadn't really researched it. I since went away and delved deep into the researching of um, America, just a, just as a general thing, the legalities of it. In fact, it was until 2008 illegal to sell toys, sex toys in Texas to the point where there were underground sex toy companies and things like that. They were allowed to be sold as display purposes or educational purposes, but they were never allowed to be used for sex. Well, people listening to this is just like a case of like people being like, oh, but that law was never really enforced. No, people full on got sting operationed and hunted down and arrested. And it was really, really bad. So in order to avoid arrest in the way they had to discuss everything about the toy in code, you could never say what the toy did. You could never use words like clitoris. You could never use words like vagina. You could never use words like labia whenever discussing the toys. And one of the things they use all the time is boy in the boat or man in the boat. (laughs) which I found really interesting. Why is it a boy or a um, man? Oh, because, because the gender sucks so bad. <laughs> we can't even fucking sit in our own boats. <laughs> hey, wait, 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 wait. I think it's because it's alliteration. I think boy in the boat is alliteration. How convenient. <laughs> yeah. And boy sounds a little bit perverse, so they changed it to man. I, I don't know. But anyway, so yeah, reading that book has just enlightened me about how there are still four states in America that it's illegal to sell sex toys. Isn't that fun? Anyway, it's called also called the button. That makes sense. Clitoris is also on this list. And I'm like, well, cool. (laughs) My personal favorite, which is actually a favorite that I found in my research uh, for female abstinence over the last few years, I got really interested in religious-based abstinence and reclaiming virginity. And basically I found out that a Catholic priest I knew was essentially selling to women that he could reclaim their virginity or give them back their virginity through god this is actually quite common practice in catholicism terrifying but through this research one of the things that is commonly used as a expression of the clitoris is the devil's doorbell a lot of people use it as a way to explain how masturbation or female pleasure is a way of calling satan into their body which sounds like fun but satan is hung like a fucking god right happy button um the jewel nice which is cute i like it mm-hmm. this one i never understood kernel okay is it like a popcorn kernel oh because <laughs> it pops off okay i actually haven't got much explanation for that one but apparently it's quite common and i did see it appear in quite a bit of literature okay yes uh, knob <laughs> i mean that's just confusing and love bud love button very common use love bud is quite a sweet one nub is very often used 
panic button was one of my favorites i don't understand it apparently was more common slang a panic button when the internet became more of a thing i don't quite know much more about that apart from as like oh it's to see like in the 90s panic button kind of appears you're like what who calls it the panic button <laughs> i do not touch it when i'm panicking actually maybe i should maybe that'll calm me down therapeutic masturbation the pearl beautiful we hear that a lot skittle <laughs> made to make your mouth water yes but apparently that's also referring to a skittle bird I don't know. Yeah, sugar plum and sweet spot. Those are the things that you often hear the clitoris referred to in literature. So I thought I'd just start with that lovely discussion. Um, before I dive into it, I'm going to give it off the bat. This is going to be horrible from the start. This is a trigger warning from here until the time I stop talking. This is going to be rough. So if you want to go make yourself a cup of tea or fast forward, that's absolutely fine and take care of yourselves <laughs> as I will after this. Right, so what is female genital mutilation? As I'll be referring to it in this is the way that the um, World Health Organization refers to it is just simply FGM and it will also make this a lot faster. So what is uh, female genital mutilation or FGM? It's often referred to as female circumcision just off the bat that was attempted to be denounced like in the 20s essentially and should really never be used because it downplays what it is and it is not in any way medically equivalent to male circumcision. I won't go into penis circumcision really today because it's not the discussion we're having and will not be used as an equivalent or a discussion around it. Let's do a circumcision one another time because uh, you know, it's totally fine to do something to someone's body before they're old enough to think for themselves. <clears throat> right female genital mutilation. What is it? It involves the partial or total removal of external or internal female genitalia or other injury to female genital organs for non-medical reasons. The practice has no known health benefits and is commonly used as an attempt to discourage women uh, vagina havers from sex. Uh, this is the main source of it, is the case of it. it's supposed to reduce the uh, sexual desire a clitoris person may have. Now, there are four different types of FGM. You've got type one, which is the one that Tempest mentioned earlier, which is the clitoridectomy. Oh God, why do they have to make it hard? Which is a partial total removal of the clitoris. And that's usually in reversion to the external clitoris. So it's like a case of essentially scooping out the front bit. The second part of it would be to take the clitoral hood and essentially sew it shut around the top, which is a kind of terrifying got two which is excision partial total removal of the clitoris and the inner labia this is quite a common one we see with or without the outer labia so it's occasionally just removing all the all the good sensitive bits got type three which is infibulation this one is the narrowing of the vaginal opening and creating a covering seal the seal is formed by cutting and repositioning the inner or the outer labia with or without the removal of the clitoris. So essentially sewing you shut. <sighs> There's type four, which is the other. This is more about slicing, pricking, piercing, burning, anything that will essentially cauterize or damage the clitoral area without necessarily removing it. So those are the four. As I said, there is no health benefits. 
However, there is an extreme amount of danger that happens with this. Uh, as you can hear from what I've said, there is so much risk. The main risk is the fact that this is actually rarely performed by medical professionals. It's usually performed by people within communities and more specifically women within communities, which is what breaks my freaking heart. So one of the things that happens a lot is just general septicemia and death. That's just not really that uncommon. So the other things that will occur are urine infections, inflamed pelvic inflammations, cysts, real massive complications in childbirth, especially with type 2 and 3. And the psychological effects range from clinical depression to right through to full-on psychosis. One of the things that we do see as injuries related to it is broken limbs from being held down from the surgeries because they are rarely used with anaesthetic and actual uh, damage to further organs due to lack of medical knowledge of the area. So these are kind of all the things that really happen around there. There's one thing that did crop up in my research, but I'll be honest, I didn't get much into it because I haven't had time. This is a huge, huge topic. It says that there's an increased risk of HIV. I'm not sure why or how, but imagine it be a case with possibly more raw and open tissue. I'm not sure. Question? Uh, possibly also given that this often is practiced culturally rather than medically it's not happening in sterile environments so they probably share utensils yeah that's probably right that makes total sense yeah the other things that have been known to appear in relation to these surgeries is infertility things going so wrong it's creating infertility and difficulties in menstruation so that's just a whole load of just ugh. so where does it come from The saddest truth is that the origins of this are unknown. This is something that is older than we can account for. Any documentation that supposedly mentions it and mentions it essentially like it already exists. And we're talking like over 2000 years ago. People usually point to the Quran as one of the earlier points for the references to this, which is the same way that like anything in the Bible, it, it's up to interpretation and big Islamic groups have all basically just been like, no, that's not what it's saying and have denounced it as a practice. However, it is commonly used as a reason to do it, which is a real problem. So it's just basically one of the most ancient <laughs> surgeries and procedures that we know of, which is absolutely terrifying. It's often used as an argument against Islam as one of the reasons why people would bring themselves to be Islamophobic and all that sort of problem. Um, But like I said, lots of large groups have come forward and strongly acted against it, including big charities like Islamic Relief and things like that who actively fight against it. Hmm. So FGM is commonly practiced across countries in Africa, the Middle East and Asia, but Egypt and Ethiopia, Nigeria and Sudan, as we know, are the highest proportion of cases. Which is not necessarily just referring to a time before now, it's referring to a time of now as well. The statistics are absolutely outstanding. However, just making it clear that it isn't something that is far away from what we do and what we operate as in the UK and in Europe. Uh, (laughs) Do you want to know when FGM was made illegal in the UK? When? 1985. And even though that was made illegal, it wasn't until 30 years later was someone actually prosecuted for it, even though it was still being continued. Yeah, I have read our prosecution rate is low. I think there's a lot of turning a blind eye that goes on. Hmm. 
The arguments around that and why it took so long for a conviction is basically because anything like this is not as simple as making something illegal. One of the reasons FGM exists in so many communities and so many communities that have of different types of religion is because it's about inclusion. It's about a rite of passage. It's about of doing it. So making it illegal doesn't fix the problem. Changing people's minds and education and funding into that sort of thing is what changes these things. But no one's willing to do that. They'll happily just slap something on and be like, well, it's illegal now. If you do, it's your fault. Well, no, you have to undo like generations and generations of what they think will make their daughters safe and included in society. People are thinking what is best for their children in a way that they've been told what is best for their children. And it is terrifying. So where did this all come from? in modern day terms and why it still exists as like a anti-clit society that we kind of have. And this will easily stem from Freud in a lot of ways. So Freud, from anyone who's familiar with their work, Freud is essentially the person that came up with the idea that women don't have vaginas. We just don't have penises. (laughs) The whole concept was that we were missing something as if it was the absence of it. I hate Freud. Me too. I hate Freud so much. I studied him so hard when I was doing my A-levels and it's just a case of how how someone can be so perceived as a godfather of modern psychology but fundamentally be one of the most terrifying broken psychopaths that has ever existed in the entire world. All he did, all he did was suggest that things in your childhood affect you later on in life and everything else was kind of bullshit. Everything else was bullshit. Let's not put kinder in front of that. So basically, Freud acknowledged the clit, but in the sense that orgasming or pleasure through it was deemed immature and not necessarily a good thing. To achieve full womanhood and to have an actual orgasm, it had to come from the vagina alone. And this birthed the myth of vaginal orgasm. Now, there is so much to be said around the G-spot and vaginal orgasm, stuff like that. And I do believe that you can come through vaginal orgasm alone, but that's with the knowledge that the clitoris expands around the vagina. So it's got other sensations. There's so much involved to it. There's so much in it. But basically he was like, nah, if you're not coming through the vagina alone, I don't want to know about it. And kind of like condemned women otherwise. Which is just like, cool. Is it Freud who originated the G-spot myth? Um, that's where they think the G-spot myth came from because it's, that's where the initial idea... I actually haven't got any research on the G-spot besides that. Oh, okay. It came up a bit in some of my research. So I grew up hearing the term like, oh, G-spot, 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 fucking constantly is G-spot, which endorses this... I wouldn't say myth, but like you say, you know, like some people will orgasm through penetration, but this idea that like there's this magical bit in the vagina, but what we commonly or what people have commonly come to the conclusion of that like the G-spot is just the part of the clitoris that surrounds the vaginal wall. So it's still related to the clitoris. This isn't a separate being. And so some people are like the G-spot is a pile of fucking shit. And some people are like, it's not a pile of shit, but it is still all about the clitoris. Yeah, yeah. And there's something so much to be said for that. But I don't know about you, but growing up, it's the same thing. I was always told that like essentially clitoral orgasms were kind of condemned as like easy and not that satisfying that there was something else that we were supposed to be chasing and it's yeah. just a sold myth like that we were basically jumping up and down on dicks being like i heard there's a magical <laughs> orgasm and men are just like well we've really rigged that situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like that you know there was like the baby thing you can do with clitoris and then there was the g-spot mm. oh so many bad r&b songs about g-spots <laughs> Oh, oh, God. I grew up dancing to. <laughs> Ooh, 
Ah, when I hit your G spot, baby. I feel nauseous even remembering that track. Uh, Don't worry, we can get into cervical orgasms another time. Uh Yes. Huge fan, but that's a different story. All right. So, Marie Bonaparte. Is it Marie Bonaparte? I think Bonaparte. Bonaparte. Was a prince was a princess and was in fact the niece of Napoleon, if I'm correct in my research. But I'm terrified that I'm wrong and just randomly spouted a fact that I wrote down at two o'clock in the morning last night. Um it's not on my notes what her relationship is, but yeah. That's no good me. <laughs> well it came it came up twice in my research, so I noted it with a question mark being like, I have not double fact checked this. Great great grandniece of Napoleon. Great grandniece. Perfect, thank you. So the story goes, basically, I'm going to say this in a way that I would talk and do it rather than reciting a million things that I've read because it's just, bah, so read what I've written, which is according to the notes that were written, her husband had gay tendencies, didn't enjoy sexual pleasure and they didn't really have sex, which is a sign of the time, sadly, where people would get married for legit no reason. So she apparently had countless lovers, ranging from the Prime Minister of France right through to like people like her husband's professional partner and things like that. Had a lovely time. She really, really enjoyed it. Freud didn't like this as a general concept. <laughs> just so you know, Freud just did not like women enjoying themselves at all. If you smiled in front of him, he'd lose his shit. I think we just say Freud just didn't like women. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> So basically they kind of like set up and she started funding a lot of his work, which I find really terrifying. She put a lot of money into him. So she kind of got interested in what Freud was saying and she could only orgasm and come through the clitoris stimulation. And Freud was like, well, what's wrong with you? And it was like, nothing's wrong with her. So anyway, she went away specifically and interviewed 243 women about their sex lives. I did not realise it was such a high number. And made diverse measurements on them on the behalf of her and reaching the conclusion, which she published pseudo-anonymously in a medical journal, that only women whose clitoris was 2.5 centimetres or less from the vagina could reach orgasm from penetration. She means presumably the... The clitoral head. The P, yeah. Yeah, the the boop, the button, the devil's doorbell. The doorbell. The skittle. (laughs) The boy. (laughs) And hers was three centimetres from the... I've got written down, coveted orifice. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, she decided it had to be moved. So she had an operation to move it around. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, I will double check this and I'll put it up on the as a source of articles. But she did actually attempt to have an operation to have it moved. But the operation failed. And the surgeon, who I haven't got the name written down for some reason, was like, I'll give it another go. And she was like... I'm good. But with the Nazi invasion, she actually moved to Egypt to escape. And this is a really interesting point because moving to Egypt where FGM was hugely rife, she basically interviewed and discussed loads with women about there of why this happened and what the effects were. And one thing she did found is that it didn't suppress their desire for sex. Uh, it obviously had some trauma relation to it because that makes total sense. But it didn't repress their desire for arousal. And this is kind of where this is more than just the head um, idea came from. But anyway, I'm delving into your bits. She discovered that uh, it was a common practice that was executed by women in the family. And this is something we know is very uh, true today, which is what we see in a lot of African countries in particular, is that unless the barber in the area in the community has become the physician, they will do it, which is the case where men get involved. 
So, in the 16th century, we find documentation of a French physician called Jacques Delchamp, who believed the clitoris was an unusual feature that occurred in almost all Egyptian women. It erects like a male penis, and indeed they use it to play with other women, as their husbands would. Thus, the parts are cut. So that was a medical journal. All right. So I'm just going to jump forward a little bit to some more modern FGM in the world as we know it. In the 19th century, John Harvey Kellogg. That's right. Cornflakes. Actually hasn't a part of this. Kellogg of breakfast cereal fame recommended smearing the clitoris with acid in order to permanently prevent women from becoming overexcited. Then we've got, this is the only bit that I've got on, the English physician Isaac Baker Brown asserted in 1858 that masturbation by women causes insanity, epilepsy, all the conditions that you previously mentioned. And uh, he um, performed clitoridectomy rarely with consent from women, but the reason that he got caught into trouble was that he didn't get consent from husbands or fathers. That's all I've got on that one, because I think delving into it would break my fucking heart. I can do a little bit of it. If you want. Go on. So, the town full of the operation and of Baker Brown himself came when the Obstetrical a Society of London debated its efficacy and its ethics. And what you say is is true. Uh, he was uh, struck off and banned and died a penniless. Oh, did he? Uh, yes, but you are completely right in that consent was their issue. But the sad thing is, is that a lot of women did come to him asking for this because I think it's caught up in what you've brought up about unless you're married, you're worthless as a woman. You have no place in society and and actually you are possibly thrown out of your own home. Like there's no access to money. Women don't have bank accounts. They don't have property in lots of situations. So unless you are married, that's a real problem. (laughs) That's a shorter way I'm going to say that. So lots of women would go to him to ask to have their clitorises removed to make themselves, they believed, better wives or happier wives or more likely to be married, uh, which is similar to, I think, what you were saying about some Mm. of the cultural practices, because marriage is so important because without being married, you literally are worthless as a woman in certain periods of time, which is heartbreaking. And so whilst women would go to him for this treatment, for this removal, for this form of FGM, let's be real, as women were property, (laughs) the fact that their husbands or their fathers haven't consented is what got this doctor struck off in the end which is just great <laughs> oh another really a great statistic for you uh, you brought up when FGM was outlawed or clitoridectomy clitoridectomy thank you in the UK but do you know when it was in the US uh, no I don't have the US is it like 2005 or something uh, no it's 1996 <gasps> <laughs> <sighs> yeah which is fucking gross. The legislation around it in accordance to the World Health Organization is so, it's, everything is so recent. Everything is so recent. It is absolutely mortifying and terrifying. If I may, I find quite an interesting paragraph that I didn't want to, I didn't want to paraphrase, but it's from a research paper by Elizabeth A. Sheehan. And I just thought it ties together really nicely what you were saying before. So this is the first paragraph of it. Uh, so it's recent publicity concerning the World Health Organization's investigation into the practice of 
clitoridectomy and infibulation in Muslim countries has appropriately focused attention on the implications of these procedures for women's health and socioeconomical status. At the same time, greater international awareness of FGM has allowed Westerners, including some social scientists, to view such practices as being rooted in ideologies totally foreign to the West. Criticism too deeply imbued with a sense of ethical and scientific superiority deflects attention from the cultural context in which female genital mutilation takes place whilst also denying Western medicine's use of similar procedures. In an effort to overcome this tendency and to examine the persistent connection between belief system and medical practice, this article discusses the use of clitoridectomy in Victorian England and its consequences for gynecological surgeon named Isaac Baker-Brown. And I will put the link to that if you want to read it. But I think there is a lot of like, that's something that happens to them. That's something they do because they're savages or because they're not as enlightened as we are in the West. But having that kind of thought process isn't helpful and we certainly have it in our own history yeah i completely agree and i think that is a very good article that's great i've got a more recent war on the clitoris thing and then i'm kind of done i will link to various sites in our bio about how you can get involved with various organizations to eradicate this not just through banning but also through education and support and rights of all different kinds um there's some really amazing projects out there that are trying to change this practice that supposedly 200 million had undergone i found a statistic basically was i couldn't find one for this year of how many people but there's like 200 million in 2016 in uh, indonesia and african countries alone so cool knowledge is power uh, knowledge of the flesh is a dangerous power and far more dangerous is knowledge of your own flesh which i thought was a glorious quote from an article i read that's good right so in 1918 uh, so in 1918 just before world war one ended there was kind of this huge argument against the clitoris and how it was dangerous this wasn't necessarily directly linked to fgm but i thought it was worth noting in the sense that it feels recent this feels like a recent discussion and is one of the discussions that is as old a time for it it was led by a guy called noel pemberton billing have you heard of him no yeah he's a dickhead he's a pilot an inventor a publisher and a british mp an extreme right winger and a cunt yeah he was also a huge <laughs> conspiracy theorist of his time great his main fear so this whole thing was german spies he's like german spies are everywhere they are everywhere i know it feels like QAnon. please tell me that he thought the clitoris was some kind of german spy <laughs> <laughs> he was listening to all your conversations <laughs> like an antenna internally yeah the one thing that we i will just say about this person is that they had like a little black book with forty-seven thousand names of men and women that could risk the safety of the uk of england essentially um and this was mainly his was like sexual perversions which meant anything from pedophilia to gay to like to wear skirts it was anything like that basically and his whole thing was like lesbians (laughs) lesbians lesbians are going to bring down this country and i was like oh (laughs) amazing cool so basically lesbians were like by far the most dangerous as they were women they were so susceptible to being seduced they were just like constantly seduced like it's so easy and also we can't keep our mouths shut 
So basically, he was really worried that with the clitoris as a female sexual thing, that it would encourage women to be seduced by German spies, thus leading us down a horrible route of information being linked and blackmail being had. And he really went on it for a while to the point where he tried to dob in an actress called Maud Allen, who was in uh, Salome. At the time, it was widely known that she was a lesbian, but obviously not public knowledge. And he basically came out against her as being one of the most dangerous people. And it was all because of the clitoris. In fact, he had a bit in his book that was called The Cult of the Clitoris. (laughs) And it's basically just this idea that if women can be so susceptible by this one tiny little devil's doorbell, then the whole country is going to fall. And I loved it. (laughs) Absolutely glorious. So let's be clear, lesbians are dangerous because the clitoris will mean that they'll sleep with male spies. No, with women spies. Oh. Were there many yes. women German spies? I mean, women did some fucking cool things during the war effort, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a case of if they were lesbians, then it would be a case of they would be held to blackmail. So they'd give information for the lack of... So we're not being found out. For example, he thought that um, the journalists insinuated that Maud Allen was a German spy who was sent to seduce the wife of the former prime minister. Yeah. God, mm, love conspiracy theory. Because the saying is women think with their clits. <laughs> isn't, isn't clit just. Nice. <laughs> nice. I just wanted to wrap up on more of a like general war clitoris note rather than the surgical ins and outs of it. Um, yeah, it's rough. It's really rough. It's fucking awful. I can't remember the first time I heard about FGM, but I feel like it would have been when I was maybe between like 10 and 12. And it's just the idea of it has just traumatized me so much as I think that's not unique to me. And it's not something that culturally I would have been at risk from, but just that level of violence, knowing that that happens to somebody because they have the same genital organs as you and is happening, it's just... I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with this. I think it's just one of the many traumas that you grow up with. And that's at a distance. Thought a lot about trauma. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not really sure where I'm going with that, but a lot a lot of trauma exists <laughs> for women and people with female genitalia. Yeah. Even just in in the imagination, let alone the very real trauma that does exist for people. Yeah. Violence towards vaginas, vulvas as a sexual organ is terrifying outstanding and that's this research really really fucked me over it really did and there is a reason that i'm not specifically going into massive ins and outs of various cases because it's just i don't think you should need to hear the ins and outs of it to care about what's happening yeah i don't think it's yeah and also because the magnitude of these first-hand accounts on various different charity websites in particular. It's outstandingly terrifying. One of the reasons it's been in my mind a lot recently was because I watched The Handmaid's Tale and there is a clitoridectomy in that and it was one of those things that I hadn't thought about in so long. It's not something you think about regularly because the same way I try not to think about sexual assault regularly is the same way like anything... And it was in that and I was like, oh God, that's a thing that happens. And you feel it right in your body. 
this violence and as people that have experienced people full-on disregarding our bodies and causing violence to us it doesn't feel far from the truth and it doesn't feel far from what we could experience and it's one of those things where it's like if I don't trust someone to screw me while I'm out unconscious passed out drunk then how could I trust them not to damage me in that sense because it comes down to the simple fact that they're not seen as human Mm. yeah and that's fundamentally the most scary thing yeah absolutely without wanting to get too much into it i find there's this perceived difficulty between banning fgm and then enforcing that ban and then cultural sensitivity and i always think that's kind of bullshit because surely that's an excuse like you can be culturally sensitive, but also think that young girls shouldn't be mutilated. You know, when you look at our sexist history, for me, when people bring that up, I'm always just like, that's just bullshit. Sorry, it's just an excuse. Stop talking fucking nonsense. It rages me because it's so often employed by the right wing as an argument against cultural sensitivity and as a kind of faux gallantry towards protecting our women when the fact is you don't really give a fuck about women. God, no. Not even the slightest. No. 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 <laughs> so when cultural sensitivity is used as an argument essentially for these things existing, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't fund the education to change it. It just says this is what happens because this is what happens. It's not a case of, oh, we need to put money into these areas to re-educate communities, to create safer environments, to provide resources for communities in a way that feels that this is a way to protect their daughters this is something that like has comes up in a lot of the fgm is this concept that it's protecting their children and doing what's best for their children and that's something that we'll see in so many things that are wrong with the world like even like comes down to like anti-vax is because people want to protect their children and get the best that they can for their children and without education and without clear communication without funding without support that's never going to change and putting in words like cultural sensitivity just shoves it off just that's what they do sort of explanation drives me out the fucking wall hmm. not to make light of any of this but to end oh God, on okay. a slightly pleasanter note like with your war stories which i did enjoy <laughs> um, there was a case discovered uh it's like you say often the practices of this can be important cultural women within communities and through research it was discovered that one of these women did think that fgm was bullshit but she did her own mini protest in that so she would still have women bring their daughters to them and then she just pinched them really hard so they thought that they had the surgery and then she just send them off intact (laughs) being like done you're done (laughs) and it's small but I thought it was nice. I was thinking about something like that today. So um, they're trying to ban virginity tests in the UK. They're trying to ban medical clinics from doing it at the moment. This is the second time we've tried to do it. We failed. Yeah, I know. We're, so we're trying to legally ban them. What's the phase for? The phase is for one, we have them. Two, we're trying to ban them. And three, we haven't banned them and that they exist and that they still exist. And this is news to me. And good. Carry on. <laughs> Okay. You don't have six hours for me to scream into the microphone. <laughs> well, I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, well, why do these exist? They exist to prove the virginity and the purity of people so that they can be married, either based on societal pressures, community pressures, religious pressures, all these things. And they're charging like 165, 300 quid a pop, by the way. And I was like, well, hang on. This might be 
a really safe thing to do hear me out in the sense of like if someone's life depends on whether or not they're a virgin for example if they're in a position where their life is threatened if they find out that they were sleeping with someone else a medical professional could turn around and say they're a virgin and save their life and i'm wondering if there were people that did that and if i would be really interested to talk about it because if these things were put in place and there was just like an unspoken rule that put everyone through as a virgin so what you're saying is we should set up a business providing virginity testing and FGM and just be like, you're good. You're good. <laughs> you're good. Here's your certificate. Yeah, because you're it's, all good. Because in all these situations, like banning of FGM and stuff like that, it just means that it's out of the view of like hospitals and things like that. And a lot of these banning situations, all they do is make women and vulva have his life more dangerous. For example, like banning abortion doesn't ban abortion. It just means that they will go to dangerous places to get it done. So all it's doing is just shoving the problem again onto women and vulva havers for being born with vulvas. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> I'm sorry, you, t- you tried to do a lighter note and I'm really sorry. <laughs> I was like, don't you dare come back down with me. <laughs> Yeah, I was just like it's it, that's exactly like I'm like let's not. <laughs> there, there are so many awful things that we could bring up. I'm really sorry. Topic. I think I just needed it. <laughs> no, no, I think that it's important to talk about it, and it's also important to know when to give a break from talking about it. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have, yeah. have a break. Ah, so the good news <laughs> is it clitori are great. If you have one, get to know it, explore it, revel in its magnitude, bow down to it, buy 3D clitoris sculptures and put them on your walls as religious iconography. Maybe give it a little nod in the evening and in the morning. Yeah. Wear it round your neck. (laughs) Buy it for your friends. Yeah. Or if you want to do it more like subtly, just get a shit ton of orchids. Oh, that's nice. I do like that it does look like an orchid a little bit. I always thought it looked more like a flamingo. (laughs) like clown pants clown pants yeah like little pantaloon legs oh no i see you i see there it looks like many things but what it is everyone is a completely normal and natural thing and does not require removing nor damaging nor anything if anything you're going to do to it just give it a nice little rub and maybe some wash with some water every now and then if you see a clitoris leave it alone Uh, that's what the episode's got to be called leave clit alone yay (laughs) oh well thanks everybody for that suggestion (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (gasps) can we do something really light and fluffy next week nunneries (laughs) god no no actually that's really traumatic sorry i did for a second think that would be fun but it won't be there'll be elements where it's like really really fun and like filth but there's also so much abuse (laughs) I think no matter what we do, we'll ruin it. Well, the th- second runner was activism. No. Which will potentially no. be... <laughs> no. That one is going in at some point. I have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it won't feel personally traumatic, but it's not going to be a trauma-free discussion. <laughs> oh, no. We're not doing activism next week. There's no fucking way I have the brain space for doing that. Okay. Oh, God. What well, answers on the postcard team? No, 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 you do not get to suggest anymore. We're taking that away from you. You're getting like a four month ban from suggesting topics to us. (laughs) 
Next month, we'll be discussing costume cleaning, how we don't do it. <laughs> oh, can we just go back to the easy discussion of how we're wildly unemployed and not going to get through the next two, three months? <laughs> yes, that will be a light break after today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of it. It's not burlesque, but it's been so long since I've done it. I can't. So there you go. Um, I've got one from last night. It's not burlesque unless you've had to scratch the crust out of your gusset before handing your pants to somebody else. <laughs> I did that one before. Did you? Oh, damn. I had to do it last night. And that's why I put it in my head. But you've already done Hang it. Hang on, who are you giving your pants to? Well, I'm sending my beautiful set back to Alice at Little Black Pants Club to <laughs> to redo. So I was just putting it in the bag and I was about to see it at the box and I was like, I should probably just just check those pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so sorry, Alice. And you're welcome. <laughs> oh no. It's always when you hand it back to a costume designer that is worse. One of my costume designers for a piece was like, can I borrow your um shuffle pants for a pattern cut because I want to recreate them for this and I was like yeah sure H- handed them over and I was like as I handed them over just smelt them because they go past my face and I'm just like I'm so sorry <laughs> but you didn't give me any warning <laughs> <laughs> I used to hand around pieces of my costuming in some of my courses and yeah I had the same bit where I'm like and you can not look at the detailing on that <laughs> just gonna pop them right next to me here and you can see them from afar look at look 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 at this look isn't that nice and you can see their hands reaching for you like don't 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 touch it don't do that (laughs) don't look at it oh god plugs patreons Uh both gin salt and house of burlesque tempest is putting effort into their patreon and their instagram i highly suggest that you check them out as they recreate one of their iconic acts Fucking show me up, yeah. dickhead. Ah, uh, yeah, it's just goes to me that all the fabric shops will be shut. Although there's a little part of me that's like, <laughs> can't all be shut. I mean, that's an essential shop, isn't it? <laughs> it's essential to me. I think my fabric shop is open, but because it's a hardware store as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm remaking one of my favourite outfits and I've set this myself the challenge to do the skirt myself. Although I've now realised that now I've said that I have to do it. Um, and I now have to buy fabric for it. And I was just like, oh, it's fine. I'll just pop around down Seven Sisters Road and check out what I need. But I can't do that. <laughs> so that's great. Never say on Instagram that you're going to do something. Only say that you're going to do something after you've already done it. Therefore, you can do it. Because otherwise you're just like, ah, fuck. Maybe they won't remember. No, it's a rookie mistake. Uh, that I have fallen into. I can't wait. It's going to be beautiful. But I don't have much else to do. So <laughs> Q7 videos of me crying over piles of fabric. <laughs> what can I waste more money on? Seven meters of a fabric that I thought was something turns out to be something else that's arrived on eBay and I don't fucking know what to do with it. Good times. I have boxes filled of uh, I don't know what to do with it. It came from eBay and it's so much more disgusting in real life. I suppose other plugs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Welcome, <laughs> you listeners. We have various platforms that you can listen on, as Lola Brown mentioned. There is a Gin Salt Patreon for a mere few pennies, plus six pounds. Uh, you can listen to secret content and our lives. 
Patreon has no minimum subscription terms, so you can hop on. And if it's not for you, you can hop off again. But hopefully you'll stay. And we have a House of Burlesque Patreon, which has things like dance classes and burlesque tutorials and thought for the weeks based on body positivity or ways that you can boost your mental health, ways that you can lift your energy and bring a positive note to your week. And we have backstage stuff and videos of what we're working on and stuff about creative process if that interests you. Lolo Brow, you have an OnlyFans. I do have an OnlyFans. Pay to see me naked. That's pretty much it. You're welcome. It's full of ridiculous content and uh, recently got complimented on how spontaneous it was. So I'm like, cool. I wake up in the morning. I'm like, this is horny. You're welcome. It is an exploration into my own filth and my own sexual pleasure. It's a really, really good time and it's a lot of fun. Uh, So do sign up and keep me company for lockdown because am I doing fuck all else? I will start a Patreon at some point in like 20 years time it'll be more like autobiographical then i think lockdown 17 yeah do you think we'll have another lockdown after this one what like next winter yes i don't know maybe yeah i'd like to say no a huge thank you to richie ruru's <laughs> for editing this podcast and all the podcasts you hear absolutely royal gem just sticking with us through this entire thing and they'll stuck with us for another lockdown as we slowly lose our minds check out their podcast so i might be wrong uk which is all about music and uh, albums it's pretty cool give it a listen and also a massive thank you to rosie verbose for the music that you hear at the end of this podcast check out their incredible work at rosie verbose or their amazing network around mental health awareness called at invisible cabaret both awesome stuff check it out uh, thank you to our boss bitch botanicon for wildfire Wildfire, uh, 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 uh. you subsidise our podcast. <laughs> you pay for everything. It's groovy. <laughs> You'd like me to butcher a popular song, or in fact, Lolo Brow to sing you your name in a perfect harmony, then you can pay us to do that, and we'll love you for it. To check out her work, she also has her own burlesque collective called the Coven Burlesque. I believe. I believe so. Yeah. But you can find that through Faye Wildfire's Instagram. That's Faye with an A-E and Fire with a Y. I think that's it. <laughs> I think we're done. You good? <laughs> I'm good. You good? I think we're okay. We survived. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. You've been lols. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing, for letting us know how you're getting on with the episodes. We love it when you get in touch with us. Please do rate the podcast five stars, of course, because uh, if you hated it, that means more people will hate it with you. Um, so who doesn't want to spread the love in that way? Um, and, uh, otherwise, we'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. So you want to be a showgirl, a star of cabaret. Closure of the theatres Leaves a hole in your heart And in your day Well here's two artists who miss burlesque gigs Performing and acting moronic People who When life gives them lemons Just slice them up for a gin and tonic They put the mock in mocktail The cock in cocktail Let them show you how It's gin salt With tempest rose And low Give us your attention. Probably. Ah! Sorry, I'm just destroying my house. It's okay. It's fine. Destroy it. <laughs> mm. Also, have you seen my. Look, 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 look. 
Oh, I saw that on your Instagram. Oh, Look how God. short they are. Just like I know, it's terrifying. I can't scratch uh, anything. Oh, God. It's just... Yeah, I know. It's like stroking Vladimir and I was like, this is obviously no, not pleasurable for you anymore. This is awful. <laughs> just like soft nubbins. <laughs> so awful. I just can't bear it. <laughs> oh, babe. Oh, 